It's been one week since you looked at me. Cock your head to the side and said I'm angry. Five days since you laughed at me. Saying get back together, come back and see me. Three days since the living room. I realized it's all my fault, but couldn't tell you. Yesterday, you'd forgiven me. But it'll still be two days till I say I'm sorry. Hold it, now I'll watch the hood wink. Does it make you stop think? You'll think you're looking at Aquaman. I summon fish to the dish, although I like the shallots. Just I like the sushi, cause it's never touched a frying pan. Welcome, everyone, to Quadcast on WVFI. Only John and I are here today, unfortunately. But you know what? We're going to power through. John, how are you doing today? I'm doing pretty well, Jake. Thanks for asking. How are you? I'm doing wonderful. Uh, Notre Dame had a great game yesterday. Great win. There's nothing except happiness right now. Yeah. You can feel it around the entire campus, you know? Last week, it was... It was a tough week for Notre Dame football, even though we got the dub. Everybody just seems a little more confident, a little happier with our team this week. It's definitely a weight lifted off the general campus's shoulders. Yeah. Now, let's address the elephant in the room real quickly. Ben James is not here today for a very, very specific reason. Yes. In our fantasy baseball league, we are in the first round of the playoffs. Now, Ben James is playing John. John, what's the current score of that game as we head into the last day of the matchup? You know, I would have to pull up the score, but it's 400-something to 200-something. It's not looking good for Ben. And so Ben James took the coward's approach yep. and decided to stay home instead of face the music here this morning. He's been pretty depressed recently. Yeah, he didn't get out of bed until like 1 p.m. yesterday. Yeah. So Just in time for the game. If you guys see Ben James around campus, be sure to let him know that his fantasy football team is not all it's cracked up. Or fantasy Fantasy baseball baseball, team. My bad. It's not all it's cracked up to be. And you know what? It's even worse for him because he went 7-0 in the regular season. He didn't get a taste of losing until the first round of the playoffs. My team was actually 3-4. I was really lucky to squeak into the playoffs. But, you know, it's a tough look for Ben. I, I feel his pain, though. Fantasy sports can be... It can be devastating. It's the upset for the ages right there. It is the upset for the ages. And he was complaining about his catcher the other day, right? JT Real Mudo. Yeah, he was complaining about him. He Had said a hip he, injury the entire week. Yeah, he said he wasn't doing it. You know what I told him, John? I told him he should have picked up my boy, Kyle Higashioka, <laughs> the home run Stroka. He should have. If he's the backup catcher on the Yankees. He had three home runs in one game. He's string, actually, right? Yeah. Uh, no, he's the backup. Kratz is the third string, yep. usually. He's just been, Higashioka's been hurt mm. for a good part yeah. of the de- year. You know what? I I don't know how Gary Sanchez has been doing recently, but if he's been doing anything like his opening 40 games, then maybe we should think about replacing the starting catcher at this point. I mean, there there's an argument to be made there. I, I think, you know, short season, strange playoffs, sometimes you got to go with the hot hand. I know Higashioka catches when Garrett Cole pitches. I think Garrett Cole really? prefers Higashioka. <laughs> Who wouldn't? <laughs> no offense, Gary. <laughs> so so there's that. Um, Gary has been picking up his performance as of recent. Uh, he, he's, he had a pretty good week this week. That's he, good. Most it, of the Yankees did. Yeah. It, it was hard not to have a good week right. on the Yankees' offense yeah. with the uh, domination they had. Seeing 48-mile-an-hour pitches by the seventh inning. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. Ugh. Yeah, but Gary seems to be picking it up, so we'll have to see. It's hard to give up on Gary because you know the potential that's there, yeah. but it's also like how many strikeouts do you have to sit through before yeah. there's and a Gary change is, is made? Future, if we're being honest, Gary's the, the only 
catching option who who has the potential to be like the next 10 year great Yankee. Yeah, yeah, no you're right. You're right. He he's he has the highest ceiling of all of them. Yeah. So it's hard to but it's hard to stick through with it in a 60 game season you know, when he's not hitting sometimes well. you gotta stick through the rough times to get the good times i guess yeah, yeah. that's true maybe, that's maybe true. next year he'll break out early in this season yeah that's good uh that's not great fantasy advice though no you it's not don't stick through the rough times no. to get the good times if it's ben rough James, if you're listening take that advice yeah though it may be a little too late i don't know if a 150 point comeback in one day is possible Oof. but yeah we shall see so Next topic on the list, Jake. You want to go to NFL? Uh, we you want to recap the Notre Dame game first, and then we can go to the NFL. Uh, does that sure. work for you? Yeah. All right. So, I'm not sure if anyone watched it yesterday because it was on USA Network and not on NBC. But Notre Dame played the University of South Florida Bulls. Uh, the matchup was most notable not because of the strength of the two teams, like how well the, good the game was going to be. It was notable because USF's offensive coordinator was Charlie Weiss Jr., the son of former Notre Dame head coach Charlie Weiss. Yep. So th- that was the storyline a lot of reporters were going with. There was also that upset that USF had when we played them in Florida, uh, like in really early in the Brian Kelly era, where they upset Notre Dame, and Brian Kelly got that really red face. <laughs> It's a famous picture. I'm sure you've seen it. I'm the one sure, where he, sure he's have, got like yeah. the beat red face. Was this in one of the four and eight seasons? I, I th- it, w- it was in one of the early years, and yeah. it, it was not a great year for Notre Dame football. But. Also, congrats to Brian Kelly. Got a, I think, four-year extension during the game last week. He's yeah. been doing pretty well for the team, if we're being totally honest. He he has been doing well. I know I know you have different opinions about No, no, that no. Too, I like but, Brian Kelly. He's, yeah. he's a good coach. Uh, I'd just like to see... Uh, like the next step forward, I guess. Yeah, and yeah. I know I it. T- it takes time in college football, but if we're looking at the game yesterday, I think Notre Dame is closer than they have been in the past, mostly because of the depth of their team. Before the game yesterday, their two starting or their starter and their backup, Buck linebackers, were out. It sounds like they've been contact traced and they had to quarantine. Mm-hmm. So they turned to Jack Kaiser, third string Buck linebacker. He wasn't even practicing on the defense this week. I mean, he knew the game plan because they teach the game plan to everyone, but right. he was he was doing scout team for the offense as opposed to defense Notre Dame. So like really? he was yeah. So I, then the game comes along. He learns he's starting after he gets up yesterday morning. This kid wakes up in the morning not knowing he's going to start a game for the Notre Dame Fighting Irish. He's told he's going to start a game for the Fighting Irish. And then you know what he does, John? He leads the team in tackles, two tackles for loss, game ball. Pretty impressive. That's impressive. He's I, an Indiana kid, probably dreamed of this his whole life. Shout out to Jack Kaiser. That was awesome. Yeah. Good for him. Do you know what year he's in? Uh, I think he's a junior. He's a junior. Sweet. Our grade. Yeah, our grade. <laughs> Represent. You know who else is in our grade who represented yesterday? Our section mate in freshman year, Sebo Flemister. Oh, Sebo balled out. Oh, man. He was looking good on some of those runs. I gotta tell you, I love how Sebo runs. Uh, he he runs so angry. He you know? bounces off. Yeah, contact. he does. He's like a pinball in a good way. You know, some people say like, oh, you know, he gets bounced around in a bad way. Sebo does it in a good way. He just bounces off tackles. Yeah. Nothing stops him. Like, uh, it's crazy to me how many of his like fifteen yard runs end up with him getting like suplexed. 
Like there, he had a run yesterday where he like broke three tackles, got 15 yards, and then got suplexed at the end, and then he just bounced right back yeah. up. I mean, he is he is durable. He runs angry. Yeah, he's a monster. It's awesome. I, I think my favorite thing about Sebo's running is his north south inclination. But yes. a lot of guys like like to dance in the backfield, look for holes, wait for him to open up against good teams. That's not gonna work. You're you're gonna get tackled for a loss a lot like that. But Sebo, he runs downhill all the time. He does, and he. I like that he doesn't shy away from contact. He sees some tackler coming up. You know what? He lowers yeah. his shoulder. He says, it's going to be you or me, buddy. Yep. And, and, he, and you know what? Most of the time, it's the, the other guy. guy. <laughs> yeah, I was... Sebo Sebo could have been really deserving of a game ball yesterday as well. Yeah. I think he um, hit over 100 yards easily. I yeah. Think. If I was going to give an offensive game ball, that's who I'd give it to. Yeah. Uh, I think he had like 13 carries, 128, 127 yards. Touchdown. Touchdown. Yep. It just that solid. What, what else can you ask for from your running back? Yeah, I, I hope we get to see more of Sebo throughout the season. I hope so too. But what I was saying about their depth, right? About how no, about how Brian Kelly needs to take the next step forward. Performances by Sebo, performances by Jack Kaiser, like that. Performances by Isaiah Foskey, performances like what Jordan Bothello had yesterday, the true freshman. Those. Performances by guys who don't start are huge for taking yeah. that next step. Yeah, I mean that's that's what you see at Clemson every year. They reload, right. right? Yeah, and you hate to say it, but you never know when somebody's going to go down in the middle of the Clemson game. You need those guys to step up. Exactly, and especially this year with the pandemic, you don't know right. if yeah. you're going to wake up and your two starting book linebackers are contact traced and you can't play them, right. or your starting corner. I, I'm not sure if Tariq Bracy was actually contact traced. I don't want to start any rumors. But he was unavailable. You know, you have to have guys step up for that. Right. So, but I, in terms of that, the competition wasn't great. USF looked like they had no business being on the field with us yesterday. Their poor punter. <laughs> I, he was probably the best player on the team, and I don't know about that. He got slandered because his thought, yeah. his long snapper couldn't snap him the ball to his chest. That was, that was a tough game for the special teams unit for USF. Yeah. Th- it's hard to take away much from that game because the competition was so poor. But what you can take away is that we shut them out. We got a 50-burger. And guys that didn't get an opportunity, not only got an opportunity, but shined in that opportunity. And speaking of Brian Kelly again, I saw a video on, I think on Twitter, about his halftime speech. He was angry. He was going at the guys. He was saying, we are not going to let them score. And you know what? They didn't let them score. And I love I want to see more of that aggression from I the love that. team. A lot, of, a lot of people criticize, and I have criticized on this show back when it was the flagrant two, Brian Kelly for taking his foot off the gas. Yeah. I'm glad to see that he's changing that. I like that a lot. We Sometimes what separates us from other teams is that mindset, I think. You know, we got to have that killer instinct. Yeah. The there, there's Clemson's, no point. The Alabamas of the world, they have the killer instinct. USF agreed to play us. Yeah. They should know what it comes at. <laughs> You know, we should make them not want to play us again. Right. Although they probably are getting paid a lot of money to do it. Yeah, they are. <laughs> now, an interesting an interesting note about the game, my last point about the game before we move on. USF's coach used to be a Clemson assistant coach. I forget his name. He said after the game yesterday that when he played Notre Dame and what he saw on the field, he said it felt like we were playing Clemson except they were wearing gold helmets. I like that. How do you feel about that? I love that comparison. I I, I mean, it's pro- it probably doesn't mean that much in the long run. He's probably just trying to make it seem like, oh, his team was like so outmatched. You mm-hmm. know? Which they were. Which they were. They were, yeah. But 
I don't want to say he's making excuses for his team, but he's making excuses for his team. But I do love that comparison because it, it means that they, that they went out with the aggressive mentality, the dog mentality. They didn't flop over. They didn't say, oh, we're up by 30 at half. We'll, we'll let up on the pedal, you know? Yeah, no, I agree. And it's great to see opposing coaches recognize that because you know what that does to the uh, Wake Forest coach next week? He sees that. He's like, oh, man, we can't mess around with these Notre Dame guys. Starts quaking in his boots. Starts, yeah, yeah. It's uh, the one thing I've noticed about this season, which I'm not really sure if it's a good thing or a bad thing, but even yesterday during the game, Clemson played at the same time as us. They played the Citadel. I have a friend at Clemson. He was texting me, and he's like, yo, you see what we're doing to the <laughs> Citadel right now? And I was like, you see what we're doing to USF right now? And even the comments by USF's coach after the game comparing us to Clemson, I feel like this season is just, it's becoming a funnel right to that Clemson-Notre Dame yeah. game. I mean, That I, November 7th matchup here at Notre Dame Stadium. Even, even a year ago, I think if we had looked at this schedule, I think we would have said the exact same but, thing. Even though so much has changed. I think with like the, pro, the post-COVID schedule or like the schedule from before I mean, COVID? I guess the schedule from before we knew we were going to play Wisconsin. That wasn't going to be an easy game. Mm-hmm. But besides Wisconsin and Clemson, correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think we had another like might lose game on the schedule. Yeah, I mean, we had the classic USC Stanford games, but those programs are still yeah. trying to find their stride yeah. again. So you're right. I, I think no matter what, we had to go through Clemson if we were going to have a hope of making the playoff this year. As, as sad as that may sound, like a loss to one of the two best teams in the country would destroy our hopes of making the playoffs. I think that's the, the reality for Notre Dame football at this point. And I think both teams, Clemson and Notre Dame, have that matchup circled. Yeah. Because both teams sure. realize that, hey, that's the one that's, that's going to prove we're legit. Right. Because Clemson, you know, they, they won some national championships. Can't really take that away from them. But the criticism every year is that they don't have any big-time wins during the regular season. Right. This is their chance to have a big-time marquee win. And Notre Dame's criticism every year is that they can't win the big game. Yeah. They play the good teams. They, they fall short. This is their year. Notre Dame's got a conference championship on the line. Three-year starting quarterback. Three-year starting quarterback. I mean, th- there's a lot of buildup to this game. There's a lot and of buildup. And I'm starting to see it. When you're starting to see it in the rhetoric after a 52 to nothing victory <laughs> over USF, you know that's what the season's leading up to. Yeah. How many weeks away is that? The, the, matchup, the matchup is November 7th. November 7th? So you Six can do the math. Maybe. Yeah. Um, we, have a lo- we have a good deal of games. I think we only have two games. I, I two or three games after that. the last home game that the students are going to be at. It is the last home yeah. game the students are going to be at. It's, it's like be an exciting one. <laughs> I don't know if it's the weekend before finals. I think, I think it's two weekends before finals. Yeah, because I was just good. <laughs> <laughs> that, having that the weekend before finals... No matter what, it's bad for the students, right? If we win, what, who's getting any work done that weekend? Right. And if we lose and we're undefeated at that point, campus is just going to be so sad. Yeah. Might be a better work environment, but. I mean, kids kids will be doing work, but they'll be like pitying <laughs> themselves. Yeah. <laughs> Holding back tears as they study for or, or go or right. marketing or whatever. I don't really know what classes people take here. <laughs> Moving on to the NFL. We have a great slate of games today. Highlighted by the Giants-Bears in Chicago. Mm-hmm. It's a great game, Jake. Now, Talk the, us through it. 
I feel bad for those listening on podcast because the game will have already happened. You'll probably have already seen the Giants win. Yeah. But let's talk through the matchup. The Giants last week, uh, 0-1 against the Pittsburgh Steelers. Uh, I felt good about that game. I don't know about you. I felt good as a Giants fan about that game. I will be honest. I watched the first quarter and the fourth quarter. Watching the first quarter, I felt great about it. We we looked good out of the gate in the first quarter, which is something you want to see from a young team. And which is something we haven't seen in the last two right. years. But... I also watched the fourth quarter. The fourth quarter wasn't great. We were down by a lot. We had a chance to come back, but it never really felt like we had a chance to come back. But I liked the way the team played. I think could have done better on both sides of the ball. Bad turnover by Daniel Jones in the end zone after mm-hmm. a 19-play uh, drive. Really nice like drive. Probably top five defense for I would sure. argue the best defense in the NFL. Definitely the best but... run defense. Saquon will attest to that. Yeah. <laughs> but... Negative .67 yards before <laughs> contact. Yeah, that's a tough stat. Yikes. But, yeah, I, I think the Bears defense is good. Maybe top 10. Probably top 10. But I think the offense can easily put up 25-plus points this week. The Bears are a beatable team. Very beatable. As I... the Lions showed last week. Yes. At... Uh, DeAndre Swift in the end zone. Yeah, <laughs> come on, nice hands. Feet. To watch. As somebody who grew up in the Detroit area, I I sympathize with Lions fans. Hey, you know what? If if he support. had hands, he'd be playing receiver. Isn't that what they say on Madden? Yeah. Um, th- what I want to see from the Giants this week is this. Last week they gave up pressures on over fifty percent of Daniel Jones's dropbacks. Daniel Jones was still ranked the ninth best quarter, graded the ninth best passing quarterback from Pro Football Focus. Do you want to say that again, Jake? Daniel Jones was ranked the ninth best passing quarterback on Pro Football Focus. Listen to that. All you Daniel Jones haters out there, listen to that stat. Ninth best against top five defense. With with pressure, 50% of it, over 50% of the plays. He had the most pressure on him by like six pressures, six or eight pressures, which is a lot. Carson Wentz? Yeah, more than Carson Wentz. The Steelers' defense got 22 pressures on Daniel Jones. Wow. That is a lot. Yeah. So, I'd like to see the offensive line improve that number this week. I'd like nice. to see... I, I was pretty happy with Daniel Jones turnover-wise. Um, The one in the end zone is obviously inexcusable. The other one was just a great play by TJ Watt. Um, yeah. It was one that a veteran, a very veteran quarterback may see. Yeah, he's his second rushing, year. Dropping into coverage, but... Yeah, and also it was a quick throw, so it's not like he was really reading much. It was more right. like, he's there, I'm going to throw. Yeah. The other one, with Bud Dupree coming, I'm not sure he really saw Dupree. He was really trying to make something work. It would have been awesome. Like, if he had completed the pass, it would have been a, a highlight play, yeah. but it turned into a, bat, a like low light play. play. Though, watching the replay, it, where he was going to throw it, it didn't seem like there was a very high chance for success. And there was... I think that was only second down, right? Yeah, it was only yeah. second down. Second I, and goal. I think at that point, rushing out of the pocket, guys chasing you, receivers pretty well covered in the end zone, throw it away, live to play another or, down or two, probably or, going for it on fourth. I was going to say point. tuck it and run, too. Tuck it and run. You know, just maybe. tuck it, get back to the line of scrimmage. Be careful on that. Though. Yeah, yeah. no, no, keep the, keep the ball close. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. I, I think that's just decision-making. Um, Turning to the defensive side of the ball, I really liked the front seven last week. Yeah, I thought they did a pretty good job pass rushing, generating pressures more so at the beginning of the game than the back end of the game. 
I'd like to see better secondary play. Yeah, you know, you sign Logan Ryan and James Bradbury in the offseason. You would hope that the defense improves a little bit. Yeah. I'd like to see Logan Ryan play more. Uh, I felt like they were giving some of his steps to Corey Ballantyne and this other guy, Yaya Dome. Don't know who he is. Okay. Yeah, uh, I mean, Corey Ballantyne, he's a solid player, but he's, he's not he's a starter. A he's a backup. Yeah, he's Julian not a starter. Love played pretty well too. Yeah, he did. I I was impressed by Love. I was impressed by Peppers. Peppers played well. Do you know? I I saw Peppers get injured last week. No, I don't think no? he did. Okay, never mind. Yeah, uh, but um, the the secondary they have room for improvement, especially against a quarterback coming off a uh, injury year with good but not great receivers. I think that was tough. Although this week against Mitch Trubisky, I think. He, Defense should be feasting this Yeah, week. let's be real here. Mitch Trubisky, shout out to the Bears for their fourth quarter comeback last week. All those people that are saying this proves Mitch is the guy, let me just point out something to you. That one quarter of okay football does not excuse three quarters of abysmal yeah. passing. Yeah. Let's be real here. Like, look at what Mitch Trubisky did for you that game. You were playing the Lions. And... Like, Honestly, name me a starter on the Lions defense. I mean, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, it it wasn't – it was a good quarter. I think it, he only had 92 yards in that fourth quarter. I, I mean, I know that's a lot of yards for one quarter, but I think the three touchdowns that he threw really overshadowed it. He, he did make a really nice throw to, I think, Anthony Miller down the sideline, but that was a 40-yard chunk. That was half the yards that he got in that fourth quarter. I think people are overhyping it a little bit. The entire team played – Really well down the stretch. Of yeah, the game. especially and, the defense. The defense had some crucial stops and turnovers. Yeah, and that that is a tough uh, a tough thing for the Giants because now the Bears team has a lot of momentum. Big comeback win. Now they're going to be playing the Giants at home. It's going to be a tough environment. I think the Giants need to do what they did last week and come out strong. If they come out strong, are winning or tied after the first quarter, I think they're in great position to win the game. Yeah, and I'd also like to see them uh, if you if they start off. Like the first drive, really passing the ball, throwing it around a lot, it might open up the run game for Saquon. Yeah, and that's always a good thing. Yeah, Saquon needs to get the run game opened up. If the, if he can't be rushing for six yards on thirteen carries every week, but, no, no. I mean the cannot. Steelers' defense is great, but also the offensive line needs to improve. Yeah, especially so, run blocking. Yeah. Run blocking was something that they uh, could use a little touch up on, yeah. based on what I saw last week. Yeah. Now I want to turn to the Sunday night football matchup, more of a. Interesting nugget. Uh, one of our good friends, Blake, he's on that DraftKings Sportsbook life. Yep. They, they he's had doing it. pretty well at he it. He is. Too. He's doing pretty well. He took the alternate line of, like, plus 30 on Notre Dame last uh, yep. yesterday. Won that pa- one. Paid off pretty well. Um, He saw that they were doing this boosted odds bet for the Sunday night football game. Uh, The odds were... What, do you remember what they were? They were like 20 to 1? Yeah, it was about plus 2,000. So if he bet $1, he would get 20 in return. And the bet was if both Cam Newton and Russell Wilson rush for a touchdown tonight. And initially when we heard those odds and that that uh, prop bet, I was very skeptical because I assumed, oh, Russell Wilson, kind of Russian quarterback. Probably gets a lot of rushing touchdowns. Cam Newton, probably going to get a rushing touchdown. But then you go back and look at Russell Wilson's stats. He only rushed for seven rushing touchdowns in the last three seasons, which is about 50 games. It's not a great 
conversion rate on rushing no, touchdowns. No, no, it's not. But I, I still would advise Blake to take that bet. Maybe not a lot of money. Maybe like two dollars, three dollars. I feel like the payoffs there, where it's like, you know, Cam, Cam rushes for touchdowns a lot, especially in this Patriots offense. Yeah, last week, last week they really used him on the goal line yeah. as a go-to guy. I'm pretty sure he was their leading rusher last week. So if you're looking at that. You're assuming Cam Newton's going to get at least some um, goal line opportunities. Right. Against the Seahawks defense, that wasn't that great against Atlanta last week. And then you look at Russ, and you're saying, okay, you know, he rushed for three touchdowns last week, or last year. Yeah. 16 games. Do the odds. Do the math. A little less than 20%. Do the math. Maybe a little more than you got, you got about one in five yeah. chance, approximately. Mm-hmm. Take a flyer. I, there's no point in not taking a flyer. Right. I, I feel like... Put $5 down on that. It hits. You win 100 Exactly. I mean, and think about much better than that. Think about how many Domer dollars you can have with $100. Yeah. Crazy. You could get like three filet mignons from Roars. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Think about how many packs of gum you can buy at the <laughs> huddle. Like two, the way they price gum over there. <laughs> At the huddle, change your pricing scheme. It's ooh, awful. Ooh, we could talk about that next week. Oh, that that's might, a good that point. That might be a topic for next week. Stay investigative, tuned. investigative journalism into the <laughs> huddle's price gouging scheme that yeah. they have going on. Yeah, you know, I, I don't know if they've changed their prices. I don't really, they don't really have price tags. But yeah, they don't. I, I feel like the times I've been to the huddle this year, they, the prices have been like slightly better than they were. Last yeah, year. I, I feel like I'm, I'm spending less money at the yeah, huddle this year. Maybe I just have a more flex points, so it seems like less money, but. We could look into it. We'll that get back to you. We'll investigative friend, journalism. We'll have, fr- we'll have our friend Colin, who writes for the Notre Dame Observer. We'll have him look into it. Oh, yeah. We publish a, a hit piece on An the An expose. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> don't worry, Notre Dame. We're not going to do that. I don't know about that, John. Wink, wink. <laughs> now, jump back to the NFL. Early MVP favorites, John? Anybody that really stuck out to you last week? Russell Wilson. Russell Wilson? Without a doubt. If they let him cook, hashtag let Russ cook on Twitter, I think he's definitely going to be the MVP this year. However, he has competition. Aaron Rodgers did pretty well. I honestly don't see Aaron Rodgers sustaining that for the entire season. I don't either. Just because besides Devonta Adams, his receiving core is not great. I mean, he's got uh, Valdez Scantling, who dropped like, Three balls last week, two of them very catchable for long touchdowns. Yeah, <laughs> but I I don't see Devonte Adams getting like what what do you have last week like two hundred yards like three touchdowns like that something like that. He had yeah. like forty something fantasy points. So. I I think against the teams with better number one corners, I think Rogers is going to struggle a little bit to find Adams often. One guy that I was really impressed with last week was Josh Allen. Um, he was obviously playing. Not the toughest competition in the Jets. However, he looked pretty good. Um, the problem was his performance was very volatile. He had a lot of highs, but he also had some lows. Yeah. He had he, a couple of bad fumbles. Yeah, the fumbles. It. And also, he had some really nice passes, but then he missed his tight end wide open in the end zone on a rollout one right. play. That's not an MVP play. No, it's not. So, But I'm going to keep – I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put him into the conversation. He might not deserve it after this week. Um, I might be eating my words next week again, but I was pretty impressed by him. I think he might take a step forward. If if we're doing sleeper candidates, I'm going with Daniel Jones. Okay, okay, that two 
two touchdown to two interception ratio yep. right now. Today is the first day ever that Daniel Jones is playing with Saquon Barkley, Golden Tate, Sterling Shepard, Darius Slayton, and Evan Ingram on the field at the same time. That's crazy. It is crazy. It's been, I think, a full season. Now. Yes, full it has been a full season. Since his first start. And this is the first time he's had all his skill positions on the field. Which is wild. If they can all stay healthy, which that's a big ask from guys like Ingram, Shepard. Yeah. Kind of all of them. <laughs> Except Slayton, I would say. Slayton, yeah. And maybe Saquon. But yeah. Saquon, a little, a little injury prone. But if they can all stay healthy, I think the Giants offense is going to be pretty, pretty uh, Dangerous. dynamic. Dangerous. Dangerous. I think Daniel Jones could have a 40-plus touchdown season. Ooh, hot take. Hot take, you now, think? Now, I mean, I feel like in the MVP conversation, what always happens is that we leave out the guys that, you know, they're always there. Drew Brees. I was going to say Pat Mahomes and Lamar Jackson. Pat Mahomes, Lamar Jackson. I mean, you're right. Did you're either right. of them look like they both, neither of them looked like they took a step back. No. Pat Mahomes took a step back in terms of, like, how many passes took he threw. Took a back seat. Yeah. Clyde. But Which we talked about extensively last week. We did. Week. We, we won't jump right back. We won't jump back into that. But Pat Mahomes still looked like good old Pat Mahomes. Yeah. Lamar Jackson looked just as dangerous as he always does. Yeah. He was dynamic. He had some good runs. Yeah. I mean, they won, what, like 38? Yeah. The Browns couldn't hold a candle Browns. to them. Yeah. So, yeah. The, uh, that, that division's interesting because the quarterback play in that division is incredibly high. Joe Burrow the other night on Thursday Night Football played really well. He threw 61 passes. That's Three touchdowns. Passes. Three touchdowns. Didn't turn the ball over in the air. He had a couple of yeah. fumbles in the pocket, but you could attribute those to the offensive line more than to him. Yeah. You know, Joe, for Joe Burrow to thrive in Cincinnati, I know he's 0-2 right now, but he really needs to find a connection with A.J. Green. He does. A.J. Green is a top 10 receiver easily when he's at his peak. And... I think Thursday night he had three receptions on 13 targets. That's a tough line. You gotta you can't be connecting with your top receiver 25% of the times you throw the ball. That's down. a conversion rate that needs to be fixed. Yeah. And, again, I didn't watch the Thursday night game extensively. No, me neither. So, like, I, I can't comment on whose fault these incomplete passes were. But if I had to guess, based on the fact that there was 10 incomplete passes between them, some of them fell on Burrow, some of them fell on Green. Right. Yeah. That, that's something they got to figure out, which that just takes time. Usually you build that up in the preseason, in right. extended camp. They didn't have as much time this year. Especially with a rookie quarterback and a receiver who hasn't played much. I think the last Coming off an injury. Yeah. yeah. So just got to get on the same page. All right, John. I, I do have a little uh, side investment in that because I do have A.J. Green on one of my fantasy teams. <laughs> I would like to see him catch more than I was really worried. I, I had Tyler Boyd in one of my leagues, mm. and then he taught, caught that touchdown real late in the game with like a minute left. I was Garbage like, time. Yeah, because yeah, he only had 30 yards at that point, so that really that really pushed him over, made, right. it, made it an actual good start Yeah, as opposed to just three points and me losing in fantasy again. Yeah. Again. Again. Speaking of losing, we last week made some pretty bold claims, which I will play again, about the Clippers and Nuggets series, which I'm embarrassed about, honestly. I'm sorry. Let's let's see if this plays here. Anthony Davis versus the winner of the Clippers. Or the Nuggets. So it's basically going to be Lakers-Clippers. 
Nuggets wow. could Nuggets I, I, could no. surprise. Some I think people. I think the I think the Clippers will probably I'll win. I'll risk I'll today. risk the freezing cold takes a retweet <laughs> to say that <laughs> it's going to be Lakers Clippers. I I think the Nuggets have about a five to ten percent chance of winning. Okay, I'll give you that. I think the I'll Nuggets. I think the Nuggets need uh, an injury. Honestly, or the, or just like all they pandemic need, peak all they need back. is Jamal Murray and Jokic to both go off in the same game, and Kawhi to not like go insane two games in a row. Yeah, which, which is, I'm gonna end it there because I continue to embarrass myself on <laughs> on your freezing cold take. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but. You gave him a five to ten percent chance. I did. But I, I want to focus on the the last thing I said. I think I said they need Cole or they need Jokic and Murray to go off for two games in a row, which they did. Yes, especially Jokic. And they need Kawhi and playoff P. Sorry, way off P. Pandemic P. Pandemic P to do poorly for two games in a row. Listen, you know I what? said that Pandemic P needed to make a comeback if they were yeah, going to win this yeah. series. Game seven, I think in the first half. Kawhi and Paul George, supposed to be two of the best players in the league, had to combine four points on 20 shots. That's tough. That's really tough. You're yeah, you know what? I, I can agree. Like that, that, that that seems to be inefficient. I, I can't run the numbers <laughs> off the top of my head. But just pre- preliminary, I mean, that seems to be like 0. .2 points per shot. Something like that. Seems inefficient to me. I don't know. Now, John, you're the NBA connoisseur here. You're the GM whisperer. What's going on with the Clippers? What's got to be done? You know, I don't want to take anything away from the Nuggets, but like clearly the Clippers failed somewhere along right, the line here. Right. You know, it's more on the Clippers than I think it's on the Nuggets. Again, nothing away from the Nuggets. The Nuggets played a great series. The Nuggets played. I think, but I, it's I would on hesitate the. Hesitate to say that. I think it's both. The Clippers. The Clippers they, underperformed, no matter how you yeah, put it. So I, what's going on there? You know, Marcus Morris. Power forward for the Clippers said it best. You know, he, he had a, a interesting insight into the team because he was traded from the Knicks halfway through the season. So he wasn't with them at the beginning. He got to come in and see their team from kind of an outside standpoint. He said, we play like we're the best team on paper, but we don't play like we're the best team. I don't know if that's a direct quote, but he said something like that. Mm-hmm. I think that's a great description of what the Clippers have been like all season. Everybody's like, oh, well, like when everybody's healthy and when they have times like uh, get chemistry with each other. They'll be the best team in the league, but they never did. They never had everybody healthy at the same time. And I'm going to be honest. I like Kawhi as a player, not the best leader. He's not a locker room presence. Like I guess even Jamal Murray mm-hmm. or LeBron James. I know you're going to cringe at that one, Jacob. LeBron, you, Jason for all Tatum, the things you, Marcus Smart. Yeah, you you have the Celtics. They were down 2-0. Marcus Smart goes in the locker room after game two, yells at Jalen Brown. Throws Things some stuff around. in the locker room, and you know what happens in game three? Domination. Win. Did that happen before game seven in the Clippers locker room? No. Game six, they were walking back to the tunnel. Everybody head down. Nobody talking to each other. Nobody trying to fix anything. The emotional leader, that was in air quotes, of the Clippers, Patrick Beverly, he didn't have much of a role in this series. He didn't lock down Jamal Murray like he was supposed to. He He's supposed to be the heart of the Clippers team. He was flopping all over the court for the entire series. I got to be honest about the Clippers. Last season, they had their playoff run was pretty exceptional. You know, the, You know the difference between last season and this season? 
Last season, they were the underdog. They were playing that's the what Warriors. I, that's that's exactly where I was going. Yeah. Th- this season, they were the favorite. And maybe they just don't have experience being the favorite. You know, our friend Gordy, big Clippers fan, wants Doc Rivers fired. I, I wouldn't disagree with that. Doc Rivers does not have it. He has a history of being a great coach, great regular season coach, can get a lot out of not great teams. But he doesn't have a history of winning with good teams. The Lob City era, Chris Paul, Blake Griffin, and DeAndre Jordan, I don't think they ever made a conference finals. That's a tough look for a team that good. And now he has Kawhi and Paul George and a very deep team around them. They didn't make the conference finals. They, I think Doc Rivers, great coach, but he needs to go. I, I do think that the Clippers were reading their own headlines a little bit. I think that yeah. they kind of thought, Hey, listen, we're the best team in the NBA. They were coasting they, through the playoffs. Yeah, they but they never felt like they needed to prove it. Right. Where you where know, you're looking at LeBron and he's finding as much as there's things I can criticize about LeBron, LeBron finds ways to motivate himself for like no reason. Like he's acting like he's got snubbed in the MVP no voting reason. this year. But you know what? It's driving him, you know? He's yeah. going to dominate now. Yeah. Where is that from the Clippers? Where's right. that hey, no one no one believes in us mentality. Right. They don't have it. No, they don't. They they didn't want go out and find bulletin board material. The yeah. only thing hanging on their bulletin board in their locker room is Clippers favored to win NBA yep. title. Yep. You know, the difference between, I, I said Kawhi is not a great leader. And you might be like, oh, but the Raptors, he won the championship with them last year. The Raptors had an amazing team built around him. They had their leader in Kyle Lowry. Kyle Lowry was their leader last year. Even if Kawhi was their best player, Kyle Lowry was their leader. The Clippers, they really didn't have anyone. They brought Kawhi in to be the leader, and he couldn't handle that. The difference, I think, especially between the Clippers and the Raptors, even this year, is look at the series. They both lost in the same round. Yep. Look at how their Game 7s went. The Clippers' Game 7, by the about two minutes into the fourth quarter, you knew it was over. Yeah. They had there there was no fight. They were shell shocked. There was no fight. There was no, you know, come on guys, let's let's get out there. We got to change this. You know, we don't have much time left. Right. Look at the Raptors. I mean, they fought they to the fought, last minute. Yeah. They, Tooth and nail. They didn't give any ground. The only thing that prevented the Raptors from winning that series was Kyle Lowry fouling out, I think with 2 minutes left, and Fred Van Vliet tried to isolate on Grant Williams. Mm-hmm. We could have tied the game with a three, but Fred Van Vliet, great player. Hope the Pistons signed him in free agency, actually. But he, he's not a, a one-on-one isolation player. He, I think he chucked up a three at, at the last second and missed it. But, but again, Raptors yeah. took the Celtics, who honestly on paper are a better team than the Raptors. Yeah, for sure. Down to the wire. They fought with them the whole way. Yeah. The Clippers were a way better team on paper than the Nuggets. Right. And if the tail ends of games five, six, and seven, they just didn't. They flopped over. Yeah, they didn't They didn't have any heart. Yeah. Which, again, we can turn to what Gordy and you are saying about coaching, which I'm not sure I disagree on. I think, it, I think it's a part coaching, but it's also the personnel. Yeah, but the other thing I was going to say is you turn it and look at how the team was built. The team was built by Paul George and Kawhi coming. With the GM selling to them, hey, we're going to go chase a championship. We're going to be the best team in the NBA. They weren't built by guys growing up in the Clippers system, becoming, you know, realizing 
that, hey, you know, people kind of look down on us, kind of scrapping some victories here, playing hard against the Celtics, or not the Celtics, the Warriors, and then the next year, you know what? We're getting a superstar now, and he's hungry. Right. right. It's not the same. No. So, Jake, do you have any ideas of what the Clippers should do this offseason? Do you think they should? Do you think they should fire Doc Rivers? I don't know if they should fire Doc Rivers, mostly because I don't know who the other options are. Right. Like, who else? Who would you bring in to fire I mean, Doc I, Rivers? I would have to look at the list of available candidates, but maybe Nate McMillan, former Pacers head coach. He, he's pretty good. Pacers shouldn't have fired him, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. The only problem I have with him is he doesn't have a. a I don't think he has a, a reputation of winning championships i mean he's played with the pacers who up until last year's clippers the pacers are a very similar team to the clippers listen this is when the clippers need to do this offseason do you remember a couple years ago when duke basketball started off really poorly yeah and coach k took away their team merch yep banned them from the locker room said you have to earn this yep the clippers need to do the same thing with their team yeah they need to instill that mindset of nothing is given it's earned in their team because I think their team lost that this season. I think their team thought that they could do anything. I mean, even Lou Will going to that strip club to get those lemon pepper. Just wanted some wings. <laughs> yeah, but that's that's the kind of mentality where the, he goes, yeah, you know what? We're going to win. They don't need me for that. Yeah, and you know, part of it you can't blame on the Clippers. I think Patrick Beverly, Montrez Harrell, they both missed a significant of time early in the bubble because of – uh, family issues. Yeah, no, no. You can't blame that can't on the Clippers. It. And neither of them looked like their regular season selves in the bubble, which really hurt the, the mm-hmm. Clippers. But the Kawhi and Paul George didn't look like their regular season no, selves either. They didn't. And they didn't have... Uh, it's not an excuse, but they didn't. there's no reason behind it, I guess. Right. Yeah. Again, the Clippers, what they need to do is they need to take the hardball approach. Maybe... Oh, sorry to interrupt you. Maybe Ty Lue. Ooh, Ty Lue could be an a interesting candidate because I'm pretty sure he's an assistant coach for them this year. He is an assistant yeah. coach for them. So he has an inside track into being the next head coach if Doc Rivers is ousted. I think that – I'm not sure getting rid of Doc Rivers is the best move, but I think the culture needs to change. Yeah. I, I Not that I think it has a bad culture. I just don't think they've earned the culture they've had right. yet. And they, he, seem, they, they seem to feel like they were the Warriors after the Warriors had already won a championship. Yeah. Where they were the Warriors before the Warriors won a championship. Right. You have to earn it first. You gotta you gotta break the sound barrier to get there. Win that first title, and then you can act like that. Right. So and this season I would reset. I'd say, you know what? We haven't done Jack whatever. You know, I can't swear on this podcast. You haven't done Jack bleep this year. You know what? No clippers apparel. You don't get to wear it. You know what? We're practicing at the Y. We're not practicing at the Clippers facility. You know, you know I I kind of we're gonna run uphill. We're I, gonna run uphill at six a.m. in the morning. That's a great approach. For no college. going to the beach. That's a great approach for college. But these guys are professionals. I think at this point, it can't be the coaches who implement that change. It's got to be the players. Well, no, Kawhi I'm not saying it's from Paul the players. George. I'm saying it the organization at a, as a whole need to recognize. That, hey, we failed. We didn't get it done. We had the wrong mentality. Right, but I, I think in the in the NBA, that falls on the players to recognize that. You The coaches can say all they want. The higher level management can say all they want. But in the end, the players are going to need to buy into that mentality. They're going to need to lead the change on their own. 
I guess. I, mean, I, I feel like Kawhi. I feel like if the coach puts it in place and the players don't, you know, buy into it, that's in the players at that point, right? They're just showing that they're not ready to win a championship. Yeah. They just don't have that mentality yet. All right, we're coming down. We're coming down. It's 11.44.35 right now. We're coming down. We only got five minutes left because John's got a Zoom meeting going on. Yep. You're here on Quadcast on WVFI, wvfi.nd.edu, every Sunday from 11 to 12 a.m. <laughs> we have John here. Jacob's here. No Ben James because he's hiding. He's afraid. He's sad that he's losing in fantasy baseball. He's up in his room. <laughs> Well, probably crying. To show his face. He's probably just into his second pint of Ben and Jerry's, just asking if it's ever going to be okay again. For the last five minutes, John, give me your one thing that we haven't talked about on the show yet. Just one small little take that you have on anything that you just kind of want to get off your chest right now. We'll do this. We'll do this like late night music radio, late night pop. Jacob's in the studio right now. Call on in. Tell me what's on your mind. On let anything. Me, let me play a song for you. On anything. Hmm. Even if it's even if it's not sports, I guess. Let's stick away from uh, uh, some some categories. Let's not, let's not get too philosophical right. here. Like, like a Thanksgiving or, or, Thanksgiving yeah, dinner, you know, <laughs> Thanksgiving dinner etiquette here. Let's not start any barn fires, but. Any one thing. Now your time is ticking away, ticking. John. We we have a show to end here soon. You know what? I can't think of anything, Jake. Yeah, I want to take the lead. Yeah, I want to talk about the Yankees. <laughs> Yankees, of course. I want to talk about Roldis Chapman. Yankees playing great as of late, right? Mm. They haven't really needed a closer, right? Aroldis Chapman, two nights ago, the Yankees and the Red Sox went to extra innings, which uh, I hate the new extra innings rules. It's not really on Chapman because they put a guy on second, and that's just not how you close a baseball game. I think it's going to be different for the playoffs. I hope it's going to be different for the playoffs. Yeah. But, however, regardless of how the extra innings setup is, Chapman this year has kind of worried me as a closer, and I think it's time for the Yankees to make a decision on him whether or not there's one of two ways they could go. Chapman this year, his fastball's down. He's averaging like 96, 97 on his fastball. Yeah. Still very fast, but that's not... Chat- not triple digits. No, and Chapman's ability as a pitcher is entirely predicated on his ability to blow fastballs by guys. Right. 96, that's that's 90- the only reason that his off-speed pitches work. Because they're exactly. pretty inconsistent, as it is. Chapman, Chapman not being able to throw 100 miles an hour makes his fastball not as big of a threat which makes it a little easier on the hitters. And then what you spoke to on his off-speed pitching, his slider's decent. He's inaccurate, though. Yeah. You know, he some hangs nights it he sometimes. Has it, some nights he doesn't. Yeah. And when he doesn't, it's it's not good. His accuracy hasn't been there. And I know some of it had to be with the, you know, he started spring training, then he was off, then he had the summer, and then he got hurt, and then he came in. It, you know, just the start and stop is not good for any pitcher's arm. I just haven't been impressed with him this season. I, I think I, I was more impressed with Zach Britton when he was the closer when Chapman was out. Um, mostly because Britton's a ground ball guy. He doesn't give up many home runs. Right. Which, he's not, he's not going to overpower you with speed like Chapman does. No, but he's going to get guys out. Right. Which is what you need from a closer. So my worry about Chapman is that he's his arm has thrown its last 100-mile-an-hour pitch, which is not on Chapman. It happens to everyone. Every pitcher goes through this. They they start their 
you or they start their career off as a power pitcher, and then they have to move more towards a finesse guy. CC did it. Yep. Garrett Cole is going to have to do it in a couple years. It's life as a pitcher. My worry is that I don't think Chapman can make that transition. You know what I'd like to see from them? I'd like to see them put Britain, Loisica, maybe. Yeah, I was about to say, Jonathan Loisica, I really like. I think he could be a good closer. Yeah. And make Chapman the setup guy. And this offseason, you're going to have a long offseason this year. Mm-hmm. Have Chapman work on some other off-speed pitches. I have no idea what the status of his curveball or changeup is. I don't even know if he's ever attempted I think he really them. only has a slider and a only fastball. Has a slider, yeah. But try to add him to his repertoire. See what happens. Yeah. If he can develop two quality off-speed pitches, one of them being the slider, just improve it a little bit, I think he could easily be the closer for another five years. Yeah, I, I'm not even saying this year take him out as the closer, but I'm saying that you have one or two routes. You can say, hey, you know what? Chapman, you've played great for us. Thank you for all you've done. We're going to go in a different direction. I don't know when his contract's up. So, but you know, whenever that is, you could do that. Or you can say exactly what you said, which is what I would recommend. Hey, you know, buddy, your, your fastball clearly has lost a little zing here. Yeah. We got to develop something else. You know, I, I hate to make, like, judgment opinions on guys, but Chapman seems like the kind of guy who may not be able to develop another pitch. Yeah. Just because it, like... It's so hard for pitchers at that level to make like major changes to the way they pitch, like adding another pitch. Like his entire life, he's relied on speed. Exactly. And now he doesn't have it. And like, I mean, he still has it. Throwing 98 is still higher, higher miles per hour than most pitchers in the league. But it's not the name. Like, I was watching MLB highlights of, I think it was like the 2014 All Star game. Chapman comes out in the All Star game. And is blowing pitches by these guys. And the, the players on the other, I believe, the National League, who I haven't really seen him pitch in games, are just, like, staring and, like, watching him pitch. Yeah. And, like, looking at each other, like, what are we seeing here? Like, that kind of pitching, like, Chapman doesn't have that anymore. No, his whole career has been built on people fearing his fastball. Right. Like Jordan Hicks. Yeah. Jordan Hicks is the next Chapman. And it's hard for those guys to make the transition. I mean... Going back to the CC comparison, I know there's CC's a starter, Chapman's a reliever. CC was a power pitcher, but he had the hard fastball, but he also had that breaking ball then. And all he had to do when he made the transition was realize that, hey, it's more about location now than it is about. Right. Change his pick, pitch mix. Exactly. It's not yeah. about strikeouts anymore, which right. is a little bit tougher for a reliever to do and tougher for Chapman to do. Uh, you know what? We're going to end on that because I realize we've gone over a minute. John's going to be late to his Zoom call. Oh, might no. fail his class. I don't even know what classes he's <laughs> taking right now. All right, everyone. Thank you for listening to Quadcast. We're sorry that Ben James wasn't here, but we know you're not that heartbroken about it. We'll see you next week. <laughs> Make this sure to has tell been, your friends. This has been Quadcast presented by Off the Dome Sports.